Hello, everyone, and welcome to season one of Thought Leaders Lounge, an ongoing conversation with Family Compass. I'm your host, Chad Black, Director of Development with Family Compass. And this podcast is really a chance for us to take a deep dive into the vital child abuse prevention programs Family Compass provides to be able to uplift our community partners and to hear from enlightening guests across the North Texas community. I'd like to give a special thanks to On Air Media for this amazing opportunity. We were absolutely thrilled to be awarded the uh, podcast to broadcast uh, prize at North Texas Giving Day 2022, and this really is a dream come true for us. So today I am delighted to welcome uh, our very first guest, which I can't believe I'm saying that, um, our Family Compass CEO, Ona Foster. This is such a fantastic opportunity. I'm so glad that you're our first guest. We've been talking about this for Ever? how long? Uh, yeah, a long, long time. time. At least a couple of years, mm-hmm. at least. And so it's, it's really is a dream come true to, to get to be here. So mm-hmm. For sure. That's fantastic. So um, really just want to welcome you and, and again, just um, welcome the audience here and kind of take a moment maybe to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about yourself and... Okay. How you came to this chair today? Oh boy, it's a it's quite the journey. I'll, uh, I I don't know where to start. I guess um, probably a little about. I think maybe just me, and it's germane to the story. I uh, grew up in Denver, mm-hmm. and I'm adopted. My brother and I are both adopted, and our parents, uh, both of them, are integral to where he and I are today. Mm-hmm. And so. I, what I would say about that is my mom was a Nebraska farm girl. And so she uh, broke out from that life, really, and became a teacher mm. and was always a helper mm-hmm. and grew up in the Lutheran church. She really, at her core, wanted to improve the world for other people. That was what she was all about. And my dad was one of 10 siblings in a family in Wisconsin, lost ten. his 10. 10 siblings. He was the youngest. Yes. And so lost his dad at age nine. Mm -hmm. And so he grew up in some pretty challenging situations Mm -hmm. and started working very young and kind of a self-made, got a GED and wound up working for um, Martin Marietta at the time, now Mm -hmm. Martin Lockheed, and then met my mom and um, they couldn't have kids. And so they adopted us Mm -hmm. and we were fortunate enough to have that upbringing Mm -hmm. with two kind, caring, wonderful parents. And I inherited that desire to help from my mom and a love of animals. And so all of the things that kind of make up who I am, I think at my core, I attribute to both of them. Yeah. And you got to grow up in Colorado. Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, come on. Camping, mountains, all of the things. Yes, I was constantly bringing home little animals, snakes, newts, salamanders, and rabbits. My, you know, Luckily, my mom was the farm girl because right. I was definitely a little challenging. And mm-hmm. as the teenage years progressed, was a little bit of a rebel. So uh, I, uh, you know, I brought some interesting things into their world. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they brought interesting things into mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I always love to ask this question, like kind of where you started. What was your first job? Yeah. Oh dear. Well, you've seen me drive. I, I have. I and have seen drive. so my first job was delivering pizzas and I was terrible. 
at this job. Terrible. You were a pizza delivery person. I was a pizza nightmare is what I was <laughs> on wheels. And so that didn't last super long. Um, mm-hmm. My next job, I worked for a country club. Mm-hmm. And after dropping an entire tray of drinks on yeah. someone's child, I yeah. was relegated out to the ninth hole diner on the golf course. I guess they thought maybe she can't screw up making a hamburger. And so... Those were some of my first forays into the workforce. Did you become good at making hamburgers? I was great. That one I nailed. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And those are skills you can use for still used to this day. I will say this though, I would I really would pay like a lot of money to go back in time just to be able to order a pizza and have you deliver it. I I just I'd love to see what that process is like. Well, it would have been late and I would have been lost. And so it was, it, yeah, it was not, uh, it was not the best fit for me. Let's just say that. So hey, you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's good. So what about your journey? Like what, what yeah. led you to Family Compass? how did you land here? Well, again, thanks to my parents, mm-hmm. I was able to go to college and went to Colorado State University and ended up with a very useful degree in sociology and criminal justice. And I immediately turned around and went to work for Coca-Cola. <laughs> and I had a, That's what one does. <laughs> I mean, that's what a happens. sociology degree. Uh, I had a friend whose dad ran a fountain service company, and so mm-hmm. I wound up in the fountain service Coca-Cola of course. company in, in Denver. It's and the next step. Uh, it's the next step up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that was – it was interesting to be in the corporate world, and then I actually was transferred to Texas um, with Coca-Cola. And so I have a corporate background, uh, and it was a number of years that I worked for Coca-Cola. And what happened here in Texas was they, I found out that they would reimburse you if you went back to school. So I got my, oh wow, yeah, got my master's in social work. Wow. Thanks, Coca-Cola. Thanks, Coca-Cola. Appreciate that. And why they didn't question what what my degree was in. (laughs) To move up with the company, None but of their business, they don't they, even worry you about know. It. So uh, I just kept rolling with that and mm. fell in love with you know again that helper part of me was really coming out at that time. Right. And this distribution center was over in Carrollton off of Luna Road where the mm-hmm. Cowboys used to practice, mm-hmm. and yeah. they ended up closing that distribution center mm. right as I was sort of finishing up that degree. And so I had this decision, kind of this fork mm. in the road moment of do I continue on with Coca-Cola and go to Atlanta and, you know, work for the big corporation or do I start doing the social work thing? And so I started doing the social work You chose work thing. the scary I, thing. I chose the scary path wow. and uh, wound up in the world of social work and 20-year career doing a number of things from the working for the district attorney's office mm-hmm. was one of my very first gigs and I learned so much there. I loved that job. Uh, legal system, working with families, working with families in crisis. Pretty fascinating. Difficult, though, I imagine. It was, that was difficult. That was, Mm -hmm. it was tough to see the cases. I worked in the courts, I worked in protective orders, Mm -hmm. so a lot of domestic violence, and working with people who were in the middle of a lot of trauma and pain in their lives. And so that was a huge learning experience that set me on a path mm-hmm. because I loved, I, I really loved it. It was yeah. great. So how did Family Compass, la- did it land in your lap or did you seek it out? Well, there were a number of doors that opened in front of me is okay. how I would say. I guess when I was at the DA's office, 
in that back in the day, I mean, it was around 2001, and Dallas County got a big federal grant mm. to address domestic violence in the context of separation and custody. Right. And so the domestic violence work we were doing at the DA's office was in that lane, but on the criminal justice side. And the custody side was on the civil side and the law. And so I ended up going over to the family place, who mm -hmm. was sort of the keeper of that grant that came down through the county. Right. And we opened up a supervised visitation center and opened it up and ran it. And we built the plane while we were flying it, well, yeah. which, <laughs> you know, it's kind of what we've done at Family Covers. exactly <laughs> what we've done, for and sure. So, for sure. Yeah, and uh, really figured it out. And then as I worked there and loved that as well, and I had a lot of people helping me. We had local law enforcement and a lot of good uh, partners out of social service agencies mm -hmm. that I had kind of, you know, collected along the way as right. colleagues and friends. And everyone came together and we figured it out to the best of our ability and ended up becoming one of the visitation centers in the nation that the federal government, which was funding us, the Department of Justice right. Violence Against Women Act funding was coming down to fund these centers. Mm -hmm. And so I wound up going over to work under that stream of funding to provide technical assistance for other communities that wanted to do something similar. How cool is that? To what we were doing in Dallas. Wow. And so that was what I was doing. Wow. And I did that. Technical assistance is really just kind of boots on the ground. Mm, we had about diamond. 80 to 90 communities we were working that with. That's crazy. Yeah. So a really good cross section wow. of different experiences. And so I'd done that traveling and I think it was about seven years. And then I had a friend take me to dinner. That's how it's, this always happens. Dinners. Another door yep. opening up and oh, that's yes. the door opened up. And, uh, you know, when you're working I'd always worked on the intervention side. Mm -hmm. When you're working at the DA's office, when you're working with cases, supervised visitation in the context of domestic violence, those kinds of pieces of social work are all intervention. Right. The bad thing, the trauma, the, the pieces that have train wrecked a family or a person's life have already happened and you're, right. as the social worker, wading into the middle and trying to help someone whose house has broken down and fallen apart around them rebuild the house. Right, exactly. And this friend of mine who happened to be on the search committee for Family Compass when they were looking for their next CEO, mm -hmm. when she took me to dinner, she said, you know, Ona, this is really prevention. And I was like, oh, yeah, prevention. That's part, that's part of the work I've been doing. <laughs> Prevention's always a part of intervention, right? We, you know, and so what I realized during that conversation and in my subsequent years as I stepped into the role is that I didn't really ever understand prevention. It was mm. almost an afterthought. It was, mm. of course, we need to do some prevention, some education. But when when the intervention is happening, when that trauma is present and you are stepping into people's pain, it's so encompassing. And you're really helping them just rebuild that house. Right. And she said something in that dinner and she said, this is before their house gets demolished. Mm. And really, this is mm. about before, yeah. upstream, building a foundation, strengthening the walls, putting in new windows, making sure that house that is still standing is as solid as it can be. So kind of what if the house doesn't even have to call down? Exactly. Yeah. And I suddenly felt like for the first time in 20 years that I had a deeper understanding of what mm. prevention really was. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that sounds so cool. And that I have not done that. Yeah. 
And I went and I talked to the board and I made a group of volunteers who'd been searching for a CEO for about a year, really, and keeping the agency going and to their testament and to the mission, the testament of the mission of Family Compass, it still was going um, without someone at the helm for that length of time. And when I talked to them, we all kind of sat back and we all pushed our notes aside and just had a candid conversation about what the work could look like, what it, you know, some of the challenges and some of the opportunities. And I got excited and another door opening and and I walked through and and here you are. Walked on to the first day in 2016. That's crazy. That's yeah, it's quite so you, the journey. <laughs> and, you, and you just celebrated your seven-year anniversary. Made it, I've made it for seven years. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I bet a lot of people don't know, especially those who are just coming to know Family Compass, but mm-hmm. you walked into an agency that hadn't had a CEO for over a year, right? Yeah. What was that like? Well, and I think... <laughs> In a nutshell, I, I yeah, right. Kind of like being lit on fire in some ways, I think. I and um, but, and I, you know, what I need to say about it is the legacy of Family Compass. It's you know our thirtieth anniversary happened last year, mm-hmm. and I know the woman who started it. Uh, we're great friends to this day, uh, and her predecessor, friends with her as well. And I think it's a testament to the mission and to the groundwork that everyone you know, laid in front of me arriving, that the agency made it. And a testament to the programs and the staff and their love of the mission, that they were still standing. Those programs continued on, even in the absence with a, there was a temporary um, kind of an interim executive director Mm -hmm. that was a program uh, director, and she did a great job. She didn't want to run an agency. I mean, it's, she knew what it was, and um, (laughs) I didn't. And so I came in and said, okay, I'll give this a whirl. And Mm -hmm rolled up my shirt sleeves. But by then, you know, when not, when someone's not at the helm, it's tough to keep the doning, the donors coming, the donations and um, the relationships and the message out there and the awareness and the agency had gone through some changes and rebranded itself and kind of got a little bit lost, I think, mm-hmm. in the community in that process. Right. And so walking in, we had a deficit to address. I didn't even really know what the word deficit meant. I had always been under federal grant funding. I didn't, you know, the fundraising side, I knew people and I knew programs and how to create and develop and how to build those relationships. But that hadn't been a part of of the work, right? Yeah. So, yes. But I bet you figured out what deficit meant pretty quickly. Oh, it was, yeah, I realized pretty quickly what that meant and... And then realized the weight. I mean, I'd have people walk into my office and ask me some really technical question or about a contract or a subpoena would come or, you know, something would happen. And I would find myself sort of, you know, you know looking over my shoulder, like, are you talking to me? Like, is this, <laughs> yep, it's am I the one you. that needs to answer this question? Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes, you are. And you're the one that needs to sign this thing and right. make sure this happens. And, mm. you know, it's take care of the whole thing. And it's yeah. a lot of... And, you know, as you've joined me, you've seen, you know, the juggling act that constantly is going on. And then someone throws a ball from the side and you've got to catch that one, too, and start keep everything going. Yes. At the same time. Yes. So that was that was the shock, I think, was the weight of if I drop any of these balls, Mm. it has catastrophic Mm. impact. And I had always been a little more protected in my other roles. And so this one, it felt a little different for sure. 
Now for a message from On Air Media, a content company. Using the power of video, we are your company's storyteller. When consumers know who you are, your business will grow. We use our expertise to share in our client's success while helping their business evolve as marketing and business needs change. With our years of experience, we get to the why of your business, and because of that, you are the focus. Visit oamcontent.com to learn more. So, you know, we've been talking about family compass and family compass and family compass. Yeah. And hopefully some of our of our audience will already know, already who know we what are we do and what, and what we, we do, do and how we do it. Yeah. But I think some great questions yeah. for anyone maybe that's just tuning in and, and hearing about us for the first time is, you know, what is family compass? Yeah. What do you do when you say you prevent child abuse? Well, what does that mean? How do you yeah. prevent that? Yeah. Can you share a little bit about a bit of the story and then also yeah. kind of what, what prevention really is and what that means? Now I can. When I first got to Family Compass, it's a tough story to tell because you don't have the train wreck to show because at Family Compass, we stop child abuse and neglect before they can happen. And so you have to explain that we take a family that already is doing okay, mm-hmm. but there's risk markers, and we know what those risk markers are. The families are vulnerable, but we're not intervening in something that you can see. Mm-hmm. We're intervening in something you can't see that we don't want to have happen. So what would be like, well, you mentioned risk, risk, excuse me, risk factors. Mm-hmm. What would some of those be like just just on average that, that we normally see? Yeah, so there's kind of a laundry list of things that happen in you know an individual's or a family's life, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. stacks the odds against you. Mm-hmm. And young age of a parent, living in poverty, domestic violence, growing up in an abusive home yourself and not knowing what that looks like. There's, there's a lot of different things that happen along the way that can predispose someone to be at risk to abuse or neglect their children mm-hmm. because they just don't know anything different. And so I got to a point where I was able to talk about this in a little more of, you know, the elevator pitch and how do I find the messaging? And that took a hot second to really figure out how do I describe this? Mm -hmm. And there are really three factors that contribute to the possibility of abuse and neglect in the home. And the factors are the level of stress in that home and the, the second factor is really how parents were raised themselves. Mm-hmm. What you see, you repeat. Yep. And so if you don't have healthy coping skills and you don't know what healthy parenting looks like, how are you going to do it any differently? Absolutely. And then the third are the living conditions in the community and the environment. And if you don't have access to resources and there are barriers in front of you, then you're going to be stopped down from having that life that you really want. And you can't even... We have a new board member. She said, you cannot be what you cannot see. Oh, I love that. Loved it. Brand new board member. She said it over lunch. I was like, oh. I wish we could trademark that. That, Yes. I told her I was going to use it. Seriously. And that's what we do. Mm. We show the roadmap of what you can be and and show something different. Mm. And when you take those three factors and you address the factors, then people start to feel more competent. If you educate around what does healthy parenting look like, here's some activities, and everyone's different, right? And some of it's very basic, and we take it for granted. And you may not know to just get down on the level of your child, look them in the eye, and be very calm and centered and ask them to do what you want them to do. 
and use their name. And, you know, it's very simple things that a lot of people already know. And so we just teach the basics or we teach more advanced depending on what the family needs. There's no cookie cutter. So we fit everything we do to the family. Right. And so as we address those three risk factors, we see the stress dropping in the home. The parents become more competent as they learn what the skills are and they have more resources. They have access to these community partners and we open up doors and we walk alongside them consistently. And as they feel more competent, their capacity to parent increases and they stand up a little taller and that confidence starts to shine through. It's the same with all of us, right? This is it's basic human nature. When I am more competent at what I am doing and I feel more confident, stress starts to drop. And as that stress drops, the rates of child abuse and neglect, the possibility of that happening in those homes just plummets. And then we help to keep those families and those kids out of the system. We change how everything looks in that home environment and they start on a different trajectory and we break those cycles and, and move them this way. So through that, through that service to these families, mm-hmm. it's going directly to these children to break those, mm-hmm. what I heard was a lot of generational cycles. Absolutely. Say it, it, we're stopping it here. Mm-hmm. And so they have that opportunity to go and yeah. live healthy lives, hopefully. So. Yeah, and they get to see their parents do something different and then they experience something different than their parents experienced and then they repeat it with their children and then so it's this huge generational it just exponentially multiplies and it's just wonderful work and I think it's also hard work and we have to be very present and we have to be very attuned there's 22 of us at the agency we're going to be hitting 23 i think so or are we at 23 i mean i it may be 23 I think we're on our way we're on our way to 23 we're yes almost. yes we're getting there so we've got yeah. uh, we've got plans for this year <laughs> yes. and the growth is there the need is there and when we think about the work though i, I think about it in two kind of buckets We do one-on-one in-home mentoring where we're working one-on-one with families in their home. So you go into someone's home environment and you're actually there with the parent and the child and you really are teaching them and walking alongside them. You know, it's not like handing someone a a flyer. We're really there Mm -hmm. and it's experiential. And then we also do parenting classes where groups of parents are learning parenting skills and tools as a group with peers around them. And some of those parents then go into the one-on-one work with us. And so they can, parents can be with us, you know, some of them seven years. And it takes a while to change. I think change is just not overnight. There's no snap. And so it takes a while to learn it and really have a huge paradigm shift. And it creates permanent change. It's not temporary. But how incredible is that? Everything that you see, I see consistency, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's this, it's this constant thing. It's not like a six week course that they maybe come in and then no. that's done. It really is this ongoing mm-hmm. uh, relationship. Absolutely. And some of the parents, even if they take one parenting class, mm-hmm. there may be something that's said in that class by the community mm-hmm. educator that just yep. the light bulb goes off yep. and they remember it. And oftentimes in social work, you just never know the impact that you have down the road. Yeah. And we do have parents that will come back around, parents that will 
uh, we had one uh, took a class and uh, we were teaching this class at Homeward Bound. And this parent ended up eventually getting a job at Homeward Bound. And so, oh you know, gosh. it's just like this circle of life and mm. you see people kind of come and climb out of circumstances and again, become something they didn't know they could ever become and then change the life for that child. Don't you love that? I love it. That's like the best. That's the, That's best. the best. That's the best outcome I think yeah. that you can think of. It's wonderful. That's it's wonderful. really wonderful work. So That's wonderful. And mm. I think that's the point, I think, with the show is that we really, we want everyone to see, because we, we've talked about this often in our fundraising um, initiatives yeah. that we've done, is, you know, intervention is easier to see and sell because things have happened yes and you are you know kind of responding to that whereas prevention it's it's almost this invisible thing that's just up there that hasn't happened yet but that's the right. whole point right right we don't want it to happen right that's the whole point so yeah so that's the messaging that we yeah. have to get out because at the end of the day the job is to make sure that we can continue to fund mm -hmm. the programming and the staff right. Because those families that are connected to the staff re are relying on yeah. us to help them move forward. We can't let them go. We can't let it let them down. Yeah, and we say, you know, yeah. we've said, you and I have said this to each other, and you know, we can't leave anyone behind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So, so as you look back on your seven years now, congratulations, by <sighs> the way, I, that's incredible. You know, I did read somewhere, I don't know where, but I read somewhere that the average time for a CEO or executive director is about five years ish. Yeah. And I think the fact that you've gone in so strong and dedicated and focused into your seventh year, it's like the sky's the limit. It's almost like you're just starting in a way. <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> well, no pressure or anything, kinda, but, uh, but in a way, right? It, uh, it does. And uh, you know, it's so interesting because I, I think about, uh, I was in a webinar and there was someone, it was just for CEOs, mm -hmm. nonprofit CEOs. And one of the presenters, he said something about, you know, there's really no skill set that prepares you for this. And it's just your ability to manage chaos and pain. And all the things. <laughs> and just, we all laughed. I mean, the chat box went nuts and, oh and you gosh. could tell. And so I think particularly in kind of a small to mid-sized nonprofit mm -hmm. where, you know, you're resource strapped. You're really trying to... I've said this before, we're kind of lean and mean, and that's because we want to make sure the resources are going to the services. And what that creates on the inside is people are playing multiple roles and wearing multiple hats. And everyone is like a roll your shirt sleeves up and we're going to wait on in and we're going to execute this mission. And coming in and never having been a CEO, and that was never, if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, Hey, would you ever think of yourself as a CEO? I would have, who, what, who, me? That would be a no. That would be a, a what? What does that even right. mean? You know, so. It's funny how life yeah. makes that it choice kind of for you opens, in a way. Yeah, again, those right? doors as they open. Mm -hmm. And so I, for the first few years, I kind of felt like I was a bit of a kind of the reluctant CEO. And I think that's some true. people, they aspire to that. And that's kind of a goal and they go for it. And for me, it, the door opened and it sort of came to me and coming in through the door and, uh, you know, kind of reinventing almost everything, including myself, I think, in right. these moments, and you kind of claw your way through. I wish someone had said, you know, you're really not going to know what you're doing until year four and five. And even then there's going to be some real dicey <laughs> moments. I think I thought after a year, why don't I 
why don't I have a better grasp on this? Right. Why is this so hard? Why is fundraising so hard? And now as I've gotten to know other CEOs, particularly ones that are new and, um, and some of the ones that have come to me that have years of experience and I'm hearing everyone's stories, you, there's a th similar theme of it's messy and it's tough and the weight of the responsibility of if I don't hold all of this together, there's, you know, there's some pretty big consequences. So yeah. you have to manage, kind of manage yourself and hang on to yourself and keep coming back every day. And, and then every day, just like with our Starting parents our, learning, right. Right. I, you know, you start to feel a little more competent and the stress mm -hmm. drops a little. And so I think it's a very similar journey yeah. in some ways. Well, I'm not just saying this because you're right in front of me, but we're lucky to have you. Aww. And thank you for being as dedicated as you are, not only to the agency and our staff, but certainly to the families that, that we're mm. privileged to serve. I mean, hopefully we're changing lives, changing and saving yeah. lives every day, I hope. Thank I you. Hope. So thank you for leading that so strongly. Mm. I appreciate that. And we're very glad to have you today. Mm, you're kind. Thanks for kicking us off. <laughs> It's I love pretty, it. It's pretty good. Yeah, this. it's a good yeah. kickoff. This so. is great. So as we wind down um, each episode, I think we we want to leave everyone with an inspirational quote just to take with you out into the world, into your life. Um, so today's quote is by a gentleman named Matthew Jacobson, and he says, behind every young child who believes in himself is a person who believed first. Mm -hmm. And I think everything that we just talked about today, I think. Absolutely really amplifies that so mm -hmm. that's wonderful couldn't have said it better myself and with that thanks for joining us for our first episode of thought leaders lounge stay tuned for the next episode coming out in a couple of weeks where we'll begin a deep dive into each of our programs and be sure to subscribe to thought leaders lounge on spotify apple music youtube or wherever you get your podcasts you can find the latest updates on agency happenings on our social media we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all at Family Compass. See you next time.